Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about ministry leaders recognizing uh, one dynamic or tactic of abuse known as using the children. How can we recognize when an abuser is using the kids against their mom? Uh, But before we dive right into that, let's talk a little bit about things happening over at PeaceWorks. Uh, In particular, you've heard me for weeks now share with you the benefits of PeaceWorks University. If you are enjoying the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your next stop. It is our membership site that contains uh, a vault of past resources, hours upon hours of video content, uh, ministry toolbox items, articles, examples, and an online community that uh, can help you progress in your role as a people helper. So if you have enjoyed the PeaceWorks podcast, if you're benefiting from the content and you would like to to take the next step, then for us, the next step is PeaceWorks University. All right, let's dive into our topic today. We've been receiving some questions about Uh, using the children. Now, if you are familiar with the dynamics and impact of abuse that you know, one of the major categories that victims have identified as uh, a tactic of power and control is using the kids. And I'm going to speak somewhat in generalities today. I'm going to try to give a a larger overview to um, help really answer the question of how do pastors and ministry leaders function Uh, But I think it's important to note that I'll be speaking uh, from that general view and um, not necessarily able to share each person's experience. And every person's experience, of course, is different. Uh, With that said, I think one of the things I've noticed over the years, and I will qualify this once I uh, throw it out here, one of the things that I've noticed over the years in working with abusers in particular is that most domestic abusers, now again, not all, but most that I've worked with, do not function in the same way with their children. And what I mean by that is that most domestic abusers, um, men in particular that I've worked with who abuse their intimate partners, are not prone to abusing or assaulting their children. Uh, Now, when I say that, I mean as a direct target. Um, So if they are, say, prone or given to physical acts of violence against their wife, that does not necessarily mean that they're physically violent with the kids. In fact, most would not be. Uh, However, there are exceptions. But I think it's important to qualify that. Uh, While that may be true in the general, that does not mean that the children are not experiencing abuse. In fact, we've talked about this in the past, that children who witness domestic abuse share many of the same symptoms and conditions and results and consequences of children who are targets of abuse. And so it's important to recognize that being in an abusive home as a child is unhealthy, destructive, 
whatever word you want to use. Uh, obviously, it's sinful, but it's important to note that the abuse leveled against the spouse is not um, necessarily leveled against the children as a target. That's why, in some cases, the children may be completely safe, and I shouldn't say completely, but should be relatively safe with the abusive partner. And it also makes uh, issues of custody, um, judges' decisions in family court, uh, and some of the cultural ways that we view abuse difficult uh, because people recognize that, you know, these kids are not a direct target, but they fail to recognize that kids are still suffering. Now, I say all of that to lay out the topic for the day, that we often overlook children as victims when their, when their mom in particular is a victim. And we often fail to recognize or to be informed that while children are not necessarily targets of the abuse, they are often tools of the abuse. Let me say that again. While children are not necessarily targets of the abuse, they are often tools of the abuse. Meaning that if an abusive partner is exercising and using power to dominate and control uh, their intimate partner, normally um, in most cases the husband is, is using their power to press down upon their wife, then children become a convenient and effective tool at leveraging that coercion and control. And I think that's where the question for the day of how do pastors and ministry leaders recognize an abuser's use of the children? I think that's where it comes into play because we first have to understand that that is the most pressing reality or the most likely condition that we're operating in. While yes, there are aspects of child abuse, and I, I do think we should delineate between children who are targets and then children who are living in an abusive home, what we're talking about today is that this child's parent, one parent, more than likely mom, is being abused by dad, psychologically, emotionally, physically, etc. And the child in that relationship or children in that relationship, while they may not be experiencing direct abuse from the hands of dad, although they may, they are more than likely being used by dad to continue to punish and harm mom. And this is something that's much harder to see or navigate uh, as you're working in a church or ministry context. I remember one of my very first um, ministry roles uh, in the local church was actually an evangelistic role. I had been hired to help lead a children's ministry that traveled around the country uh, while I was in college. It was a great opportunity. It helped pay for some school. And so once a month, we were on, a, on the road doing children's ministry over the weekend for local churches. And then spring break, we ran uh, children's ministries all week during spring break. And then in the summer, we did vacation Bible schools during the week and then we did children's ministry on the weekend. And it was a puppet ministry. And uh, while I wasn't necessarily fond of puppets, I did enjoy the, the work and the kids. And it, it bought my wife's engagement ring and helped pay for a semester of school. So it was a, it was a good year. <laughs> 
But I do recall I was in um, another state, obviously, and running a vacation Bible school during the summer. And one parent showed up to check the one of the children out early, wanted to pick up one of the kids. I happened to be present when this happened. And so I called uh, for the uh, vacation Bible school director, the ministry director. It was a lady who had had years of experience in uh, children's ministry. And we politely talked to the parent and discovered that they were not on the pickup list. And although the parent was insistent, um, we had to detain the individual, keep them from entering the, the ministry area where the children were because of the fears that we had. And uh, we made some phone calls and our fears were confirmed that this parent did not have a right to the child and there was a heated custody battle and that the, the, the child in this case was going to be used as a, a pawn, as a tool. And, you know, as a, I don't know how old I was, 20 maybe, 20 years old. I mean, that was a shocking reality for me. I'd never had to deal with that. And it, it, there was a lot of work involved just to keep that parent separated from the child. And that was really my first exposure to churches needing wise procedures. And uh, this lady had done a wonderful job with their procedures, and I've since learned that churches need safe church procedures for kids. But how do we help pastors and ministry leaders recognize the more subtle and real conditions that are occurring in domestic abuse situations? So I'm just going to give a, a short list, some of the things that I've seen over the years for pastors and ministry leaders that are uh, listening in. Um, but before I do that, I guess I should say, you know, the conditions will help you a little bit. Um, if you are unaware that the abuse is happening or has happened, it will make it more difficult to recognize these things. Uh, but if if the church has already been involved in an abuse case and some conditions have been set or law enforcement have been involved and there's orders of separation, even if there's, say, shared custody, when they are in the church house, uh, the parent that brought them to the church house or is responsible for them during that time period is responsible for them during that time period. And so it's important that you have um, an understanding um, and written information about what parent is supposed to have the children during the, the weekend. And then also, if you're working a case, and we see this a lot in cases we work with churches, and couples are trying to share church space, which is not my first recommendation. I prefer during abuse separations for them to be at separate churches, or at least um, the compromise for me is if it's a larger church, separate services. But what we found in the separate service model is that uh, in the overlap time, um, the one parent, usually dad, trying to visit with the children in children's church or pick them up for children's church or use church as a uh, leverage point to to take the kids or to make mom feel guilty about the kids or what have you. So just keep those, those things in mind. But here's, here's a list of things we can start looking for. Number one, does the, the abusive partner or, or does one partner 
make their partner feel guilty about the kids? In other words, does dad consistently use the children to produce guilt in mom? Um, or, or does he level accusations against her about the kids? You know, that she's not doing a good job. She's not a great mother. She's inconsistent. Um, the kids are not well taken care of. The kids are more disrespectful when they're with her. I mean, is it really a common theme with him that um, her about her parenting? That could be an indicator that he's using the kids against her, uh, trying to use uh, parenting or co-parenting as a manipulative tactic. Um, does he often say outright that she's not a good mother? Does he challenge her uh, as a parent? And then really put that to the test, not, not investigating mom. And I think that's a, that's a key issue to, to distinguish because I think what does happen sometimes in our circles is this allegation of, you know, my wife or, or my ex-wife or my wife whom I'm separated from, she's not a good mom and here's all the reasons why she's not a good mom. And then the church investigates about whether or not she's a good mom rather than pressing into his language to understand why he's so um, persistent in pursuing this point. Is it out of concern for the kids or is it as a tool or a tactic to manipulate the system and to get systemic response rapport to get the church on my side. I know for some hearing this, they may, you may balk at that and say, really, are people that wicked and that manipulative? And the answer is yes. When it comes to this dynamic of domestic abuse, when an abuser loses some aspect of power over their victim, the answer is definitively yes. They will act wickedly they will use the kids, they will use the church, they will manipulate, they will do just about anything they can to try to get one up over their partner or to re-engage that level of control. So yes, it is important that when these accusations are thrown out there, when abuse has been present, to press into them to understand what the purpose is, why these accusations are being leveled. Um, Using the kids to relay messages is another one. And so if you are a witness to this or privy to this or you have a relationship with the child or the children and you discover that the children are often the messenger between the two parents and in particular that the abusive parent has been using them to relay messages, even subtle messages, probably the most consistent that I've seen is kind of uh, sarcastic jabs or um, reminders, uh, things such as, you know, if a child asks, you know, Daddy, are you and Mommy ever going to get back together again? Well, that's a great opportunity for the abuser to say, well, you know what, you need to ask your mom. So ask your mom, when can we get back together again? Because I don't get to determine that. She does. And so what's he done is he's now blamed Mom for the separation. He's made it about the separation and not about the abuse. And he's put all of the, the um, responsibility then on mom. The other thing that may happen is um, relaying messages that are confusing or relaying messages that are um, contradictory through the kids, which puts mom in a bad spot. So um, 
dad tells the kids something, knowing full well what mom's wishes are, uh, that, oh, yeah, absolutely, you know, next Thursday you're going to be over here when the court order says that he doesn't pick the kids up until Friday. Okay, so that might be an example. But, but yeah, Thursday's a special day. Your mom and I will work it out. You'll be here. Well, mom's already made plans for Thursday, hasn't talked to dad about it, and yet he's already told the kids, and the kids are relaying that to mom. Well, now mom becomes the bad guy. So those type of tactics are fairly consistent. And we could probably go on and on and on with examples, but those are fairly consistent tactics. And if you're witnessing that, then that's something that you need to be aware of in ministry. Um, also listening for um, language, sliding language, and especially with younger children who may be repeating things or parroting things, um, you can pick up that, okay, there's some there's some dynamics here where the kids are kind of caught in the middle being used. Um, threats to take the kids. Um, and then I've seen this over and over and over. I've seen the abuser get the kids, take the kids, uh, foul orders with the courts and get full custody of the kids. Um, around the teenage years with the kids' full support, um, having believed the narrative, that's unfortunately too consistent. Uh, but being able to recognize that as a pastor, and let's just go on down the line, that the level of brainwashing that happens here, sometimes there's mirrors of like cult type um, behavior where dad can do no wrong. We have seen this sometimes in more patriarchal um, groups within the church that there's just such a high view of manhood or um, the role of the husband and the father that the kids have been taught the same type of um, religious adherence and they follow suit. And so this, it's almost like a, and I, I guess cult is a good word, it's almost like this cult figure um, that mom is now opposing. And some, again, may balk at that, but, but that really is happening. If you're not familiar with that, it really is a consideration. And the kids are then used to bolster that, kind of like gasoline on a fire. The presence of the kids provide more um, affirmation in that and a, and a following that it's worth sacrificing for from the abuser's perspective. Uh, telling the kids negative things about mom. So if you pick up on negative language towards mom, it could be from, from one of two places, well, more, but let's just use two as a general statement. It could be directly from dad, who's using negative language as a way to try to undercut mom's authority, uh, to put, paint her in a bad light. Or it could be from a uh, parenting dynamic where perhaps mom is the disciplinarian and the responsible parent and dad may be the fun parent. Uh, that happens a lot too. Uh, where dad is maneuvering to be accepted in immediately to get collusion from the kids while mom is maintaining a level of responsibility to try to parent the kids. And then, of course, uh, interrogating the children. And that's something that you may not see, but then again, you may. I've seen this on some occasions where the children are interrogated about um, what they've done, especially if it's a longer separation or a divorce and mom's now has a new life. Maybe she's at a new church. She's maybe she's got new friends. 
Maybe she's got a new boyfriend and then um, the kids are bombarded during time with dad with questions um, to kind of bolster his position. So, I mean, that would just be a short list of things to be looking for as you're interacting with kids or running children's ministry in, in cases of abuse. But I think the point, the thing that I'll wrap up with again is while some abusers do abuse spouses and children, uh, most domestic abuse situations, uh, the target is the spouse, but the children suffer the effects of abuse and they're often tools or yeah, tools used by the abuser to harm um, mom. So just a couple things to keep in mind if you're involved in ministry uh, and some things to think about that when you're dealing with issues of domestic abuse, you're not only addressing some of these more visible tactics, but you're also interacting uh, with real people, uh, children who are being used against um, one partner. So please keep that in mind. Thank you guys for joining us today. It's been a um, it's been good to be with you. I appreciate everybody who participates and listens to the PeaceWorks podcast. If you would, please, uh, if you're listening on one of the major platforms, rate the podcast, give us a review, uh, let the platforms know that this is a podcast worth promoting. All right, thank you again for joining us on the PeaceWorks podcast. And until next time, God bless.